0: So we are going to be in Psalm chapter 20 today. Psalms chapter 20, we're continuing on through our series, uh, our summer in the Psalms. Um, we are, are plugging right away. It's interesting, you know, I, I, we started in Psalm 1, I think three summers ago, and as I am preparing this week again, I, I'm clicking on you know, Psalm in my, in my notes or in my app on my uh, phone, and I click Psalm and then there's all, all the chapters. and it was, it was kind of encouraging. I got to go all the way down to chapter 20, that we've made some progress here although there's a lot left to go. So uh, we are in Psalm 20, and uh, what's interesting about this psalm today, and the the sermon title is uh, The Day of Trouble. And we'll see that in a moment. Uh, But we're starting to move towards this very prophetic psalm, Psalm 22, that talks all about the Messiah, about his suffering, about what he did. And it's going to be a beautiful, uh, a couple sermons, I think three or four sermons. Actually, we're going to break it into. Uh, But it's, it's going to be an awesome thing. But even today, we start to see this foreshadowing of the Messiah in Psalm 20. Interestingly enough, what you see in Psalm 20 is a is what most would believe is a congregational prayer. It starts out as a congregational prayer, like that, that God has, has ordained this prayer, and David has given this to the congregation, and now the congregation, God's people, gather and they pray this collectively for and over their king, David. And then uh, part of it also is an individual prayer. We see David come out and, and pray in part of this, and then we see it wrapped up again with the congregation. Now, there's all kinds of avenues you can go and, and different schools of thought on this. Most commentators would say this is about David. This is about him getting ready for battle, but it is certainly foreshadowing the Lord Jesus and the, and the certain victory that he would also have and that, what that victory would, then would give us. So we'll see that today as well. I would say, I think two out of the five or six commentaries, no, three out of the six commentators uh, made, made reference to this is more messianic than it is about David. I think some of the tense and the pronouns that are used aren't quite uh, able to support that, but it is definitely a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are going to look at Psalm 20, verses 1 through 9, the whole thing, uh, and then we'll break it apart. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get to work. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, to come together, to gather together as the, the body of Christ. God, how rewarding it is to, to be here, how rewarding it is to see one another, to, to unite together, God, in celebration of Jesus Christ. God, we celebrated you this morning through just uh, our presence with each other. We've celebrated you this morning through our worship and praise offered to you. God, we celebrated uh, you this morning through this time of baptism and celebrating what Jesus has done in the life of Jenny, God, and and a reminder of what he's done in our lives. We're thankful for that. God, we celebrate now looking to your word, your perfect law that we, we looked at and studied last week. And God, how how important it is and how perfect and complete it is. It lacks nothing. So we celebrate the fact that we can run to you for assurance and security. We can find hope in our time of need. God, we ask that you would open our hearts today. Open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your truth, God. That your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. That you would move us into a place of obedience and repentance, God. That we would want to follow you with all of our heart. And God, that we would endeavor to be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 20. We're going to go and read verses uh, 1 through 9 together, and then we'll, we'll start off. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offerings. Selah. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. May he answer us on the day that we call. Amen. So we're going to look today at this day of trouble, and David starts off, or the psalm starts off, may the Lord answer you, in a day of trouble. So really, you see your notes. If you have notes, you'll see that there are two main points to the entire psalm, but there are subpoints underneath each one. Uh, the first thing we see in a day of trouble, we see number one is this. Pray. In a day of trouble, pray. So w- what was prayed for here? Collectively, what was prayed for? And again, as we go through this, we are seeing that this is the collective uh, body of Israel uh, offering a prayer on behalf of their king, But it is also foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus and the day of trouble that he found himself in. And really, all of the Lord's days were days of trouble, weren't they? All of the Lord's days were days of trouble. And certainly as it came closer to the cross, uh, it became more troublesome for him, more despairing for him. And and we can see the parallels that we'll we'll find in in this psalm today, this prayer. So the first thing we see here that he prayed over or that he was prayed about was that God would hear and defend that God would hear and defend. Look at verse 1. May the Lord answer you. right? So, Lord, I want you to hear me. May he answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. Protect you. Uh, Really rich part of this text, and we really need to see the depth of this. Uh, Think of, first of all, the the answer, that God is listening. We we did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer a year and a half or two ago. A wonderful thing that God, our Father in heaven, is listening. And wants his, his children to pray to him. He wants us to go to him with humble hearts, ready to receive what he would have to offer. One of the things that we're going to see as we get going through this psalm, and, and actually it's in a lot of the psalms. David cries out for victory, and he, he, he charges forward in faith, knowing God's going to give me the victory. Now, that is, that is amazing. And what I would say about that is, that is this: It's not always prescriptive, but it is always descriptive. And here's what that means. You and I cannot and should not charge forward all the time like David did. David was the king that was the Lord's anointed, and we're going to see that in this text. And this text, chapter 20, shows us this amazing transition between David as as just a a king and and an anointed, but into this transition of God's covenant love that is going to come through David as the anointed and be perpetuated into Jesus Christ our Lord. See, David had to survive because Jesus was from the house and line of David. He was from the house and line of David. So the Lord's anointed. He, he's praying out, God, give the protection that they're, they're coming around us again. And think about this battle after battle, enemy after enemy, a person that is a traitor after traitor coming against David. And, and he, if you read about David's life, he spent most of his life or a lot of his life in days of trouble like the Lord Jesus quite surrounded on all sides. And to think about, the Lord was right there to answer him. We have God's ear. We can go to him in prayer, and he will answer us in a day of trouble. He says, may the name of of the God of, uh, of Jacob's God protect you. Well, you think about Jacob, if you remember that story, and I'd encourage you to go read that later on. But if you remember, Jacob in his day of trouble was the one who wrestled with God. He was the one who was heard By God. He was then defended by God, and in due time, he was set on high and set apart for God's covenantal purposes. And that is what we're seeing as God perpetuates his line, as he continues to, to bring about the Messiah through the house and line of David. We see God's covenantial love in full view and on full display. And that's so important for us to understand, that God's covenantial love is what is enduring and what is making these victories happen. And God is always going to do what is in line with his covenantial love. And in, in this case, he is always going to defend David. He's always going to come to David's rescue. There was this protection that was happening. So we see this David was King David. We also see uh, the Lord Jesus, right? the Messiah, who, who were both the anointed ones here. So what was this protection about? Well, I, I want us to see this in Lamentations. There's a passage I wrote down in your notes. Lamentations 4.20, it says, The Lord's anointed, right? it, it calls David, the Lord's anointed. The breath of our life was captured in their traps. We had said about him, we will live under his protection among the nations. So David was captured. Like This is the anointed. This can't happen. I'm just showing you the descriptions here, that, that David is special, that David is unique to the purposes and plans of God. We see in 2 Samuel, this, this scene comes up where David's a little weary and, and, and kind of biting off more than he can chew. And we see this, this, his friend Abishai, and it's a great study. I actually did this at, a, I think, a men's retreat one time. We talked about Abishai. Everyone should have an Abishai around. And here's what Abishai did. Abishai, son of uh, Zariah, came to David's aid. He struck the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you must never again go out with us to battle. And, and why? Here's what he says. You must not extinguish the lamp of Israel. So David, as, as the anointed, there is, there is a big protection around David. He is the lamp of Israel. He is the breath of life. He is the Lord's anointed so there's protection for the line and in the house, line and house of, of David and in the line of house of Jacob all the way through to Jesus Christ. So the prayer that the congregation prays is that God would hear and defend, that God would continue to move with His covenant-keeping love. And God certainly did that for David. God did, certainly did that for the Lord Jesus as well as Jesus prayed. Going on, what else do we see? We see they prayed that God would help and strengthen, that God would help and strengthen. You think about how weary we, we, weary we may become or how weary David was. David has done his part. He's got his troops in line. He's made the appropriate sacrifices. We'll see in a minute. And, and David is still a little nervous. He's going into battle. And, and this, there's a day of trouble there. And, and, and in our day of trouble, or in Jesus's day of trouble, when that day of trouble comes, we are looking for and seeking, we should be seeking through prayer that God would help and strengthen us. The second verse says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. Interestingly enough, the congregation is, is looking towards help, towards where, where the God's presence would reside in the Ark of the Covenant. He's looking back to the sanctuary, he's looking to Zion, looking back to Jerusalem. Later on, what we're going to see is that the help, although God's presence is there and resides around the Ark, that God's help really comes from heaven and from God himself. And that there is more power and more victory there than, than looking towards a city or an ark, or a sanctuary. But they look for that help. They say, we want help. We need to be strengthened. We can't do this on our own. What else do they pray for? In verse 3, they pray that God would remember and accept their sacrifice, or David's sacrifice. Look at verse 3. May He remember all of your offerings and accept your burnt offering. And then there's that Selah. Right? Selah, that's that, that meditative stop, pause, go back and think about what was just said. And it's, it's so important. You almost miss it. Sometimes I, I read that word. I see Selah. I'm like, why is that there? It doesn't really make sense. And it was at first when I read this one. It's, it, here's what it says, right? It says, uh, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering. Okay. So God just, we're, we're praying really hard or we're thinking about the offering we had. Yeah. But here's what it really means When we go to give an offering, and this is true of the first offering, when we look at Cain and Abel, when they presented their first offerings to God, the one that was acceptable was the one that was given by a humble, repentant heart in faith to God. That's what's acceptable to God. So it is super important for you and I, it was important then for David, to to offer those sacrifices, even those burnt offerings, with a humble heart. A heart that was repentant, a heart that desired the Lord, the Lord above everything else. That's what this means. So for you and I to think about it, to stop and to pause, what we're giving, right? What, how, we're, how we're serving, the way we're offering ourselves, our family, our treasures, whatever it might be, to the Lord, it, that should be analyzed over and over every day. What is the condition and state of my heart? When they prayed, they said, God, I, I want to pray that you would remember and accept but it has to be, basically what I'm saying is, God, that you would expose anything that needs to be exposed here. That I would see right out in front all the errors of my ways. David had offered acceptable sacrifices. And we see that, if you go back to last week's message, we saw that, that what was acceptable and pleasing to the Lord was that humble, repentant heart. A heart that was ready to do whatever the Lord would, would call, call them to do. So He said, "Remember and accept." and I want to talk about this a little more, because you think about David's heart, and as we go into the next verses, we're going to see a prayer for, for God giving the desires of his heart. Well, let's, let's talk about David's heart. Right? David was what? A man after God's own heart. right? David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, Paul writes this, or sorry, Luke writes this in, in the book of Acts, chapter 13. Then he asked uh, he's talking about the story of, of Israel. They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him that I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out my will. God is examining the heart. Even when David was anointed, right? God doesn't look at the outer appearance. God looks at the heart. All these other sons of Jesse didn't didn't make the cut, but David did. Then we see in, in Ephesians that, that there's this offering offered, and, we, and I want us to understand that David offers an offering from a humble heart, a place of humility and a place of, of repentance, and he offers this, this sacrifice to God. And when we do that, that is acceptable to God. That is what is a pleasing aroma to God. God cares and God loves that that sacrifice was offered in that way. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5 about the Lord Jesus, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So you see, it's so important for us to analyze the heart behind the sacrifice, to make sure that we are praying that our heart is in the right place and right position, that, that we can go before God and say, God, Please accept my offering. Please accept my sacrifice. Because I can say it came from a heart of humility and repentance. And that is a sacrifice that is worth accepting. It's a sweet aroma that God accepts. He goes on. He says, uh, they want to pray that God would supply and fulfill. That God would supply and fulfill. Back to Psalm 20, we look at verses 4 and 5. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill, your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. Listen, they're marching out with their banners and they're going out under the banner of God. They're saying, God, we are, we are going to go uh, under your directive. We're going to trust that you will supply what we need. And, and in doing that, as we do that, it's, it's like the psalm that we delight ourselves in the Lord. He gives us the desires of our heart. But we've established already that David is a man who is after God's own heart. So what the congregation was not praying for, they were not praying that God would, God would give David whatever he wants. What, God, what they were praying for is that as David has delighted in the Lord, as he is a man after God's own heart, as God, you have placed those desires there, make those desires come true. Because, after all, whose desires are they? They are the Lord's. Something to be said about this word fulfill as well. We can get kind of trapped here. When we look at a, a verse like this and we, we think that uh, maybe victory belongs to us and, and whatever our heart desires and whatever our purposes are, that's what's the most important thing and God's going to do whatever I want. And that is not the case at all. That word fulfill is even bigger than that. It's not, not to say that God would fulfill whatever you're thinking it's, it's expansive. What it means is beyond any measure that you could fathom that God would do His work. That God's will would prevail. We see it used uh, in a couple different places. In Ephesians, we see it again in chapter 3, uh, verse 20 to 21. It says, Now to Him who is able, right? This is to God who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to His power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. See, what we're looking at here is, is a congregation saying, Lord, we, we, want to, we see a man who is after your own heart, and we are praying that you fulfill, that you do your work, that you go above and beyond all that we ask or think and do it according to your power that works in us. That's what the goal is. The goal is that God would get the glory. The goal, goal is that his chesed love, his faithful love, his covenantal love would endure and His sovereign will would take place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, In view of this, we always pray for you, that our God will make you worthy of His calling, and by His power fulfill your every desire to do good, and your work produced by faith, so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you, and you by Him, according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians saying the same thing he was saying to the Ephesians. That, that we want to we pray that God will make us worthy of His calling. When we talk about being fulfilled and desires of our hearts being fulfilled, what we are talking about is that God is doing a work in us and fulfilling His calling, His worthy calling inside of us. And that by His power, He will fulfill our desire to do good, our desire to be in His will. The prayer could essentially say, David... We're praying that you would keep your heart in check, that you would keep your heart right and your eyes uh, on the Lord and that he would fulfill and do his work in and through you. Now, I want to just take a minute here and and look at the Lord Jesus and think about the foreshadowing here of Jesus Christ. You think about this day of trouble, and the first point was this, that, that you would pray. Jesus prayed often, didn't he? Jesus prayed often. And you think about the day of trouble. Let's just take the Garden of Gethsemane. right? And you can study that later. You can look at Matthew 26 and you see that passage in there. But you see the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes his disciples from the upper room and he goes to the garden and he goes there to pray because it's coming close, right? He's about to get arrested. And, and Jesus begins to agonize. That day of trouble is upon him. He, get, he begins to feel the weight of what is happening. And then he goes and he says, stay awake, I'm gonna go over here, but you stay awake and pray. And he goes and says, three times he goes and prays. Lord, if there's any way that this cup be removed. Let's do that. Yet, what do he say? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus is going and he's praying and he's, and he's praying the same thing. He's praying to a God who would hear and a God who would defend because he's God. He's praying to a God who would help and strengthen. And we see that in those times of trouble at the cross or in the, in the garden, God sends an angel to strengthen Jesus. God's all about strengthening as we go to him in prayer. And God would remember and accept, right? We see that God remembers and accepts the prayer that that he would, as as Jesus goes, God, that my offering would be pleasing to you. What offering? Himself. Jesus offered himself in the most humble and gracious way as a propitiation, right? As a stand-in. He took my place on that cross. He took your place on that cross. Jesus. Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice to God. Why? Because Jesus had never sinned. He was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And He was crucified and He was buried and then He was risen to life because death can't hold someone whose judgment can't stay on anymore. The judgment was now gone. Jesus was perfect and He rose victoriously from death defeating that. So God looks at that and remembers and accepts Christ's sacrifice, that burnt offering, that blood sacrifice that was offered there. And God would supply and fulfill. We talked about God supplying and fulfilling. God supplied every need that Jesus had. And God did his sovereign work through Jesus Christ more than we could ever ask or think. Jesus didn't just die for those who were there that day. He didn't just die for those who were going to walk towards Him and look at Him a little better. He died for all of those who had put their faith and hope in Jesus. The work of the cross was finished. The work of the cross was complete to fulfill the Father's work in full. Amen? So we see that about the Lord Jesus. The congregation prays. And then the prayer goes on, and, and and what we see in this day of trouble is that the prayer is to live by faith. That they would live by faith. That's number two, live by faith. Well, what are they living by faith in? We look at verse six, living by faith in God's mighty right hand. Verse six says, Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Now this is an I statement. This is where it's transitioned now to David speaking. It says, Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed, he will answer from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Now, interestingly enough, he, the prayer has gone out and they've they've looked towards the sanctuary and towards Zion for help and for strength and what David says is, yes, we can look towards that, but we are praying to our Father who is in heaven. And what does David say? He says the victory will come to his anointed and he will answer, God will answer from his holy heaven. That all of the strength of heaven and power and might of Jesus Jesus is there and that God's powerful mighty right hand will give the victory. And God will always act in accordance with his covenant keeping love, with the power from heaven. We see this also in Psalm 33, verses 12 through 15. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of all of them. He considers all their works. God. God looks down from heaven. God, God's help comes down from heaven. God's might comes down from heaven. And God accomplishes the victory in accordance with his covenant, keeping love with his mighty right hand. And they lived by faith in that. They lived in faith that God would accomplish the victory by his mighty right hand. You know, I mentioned last week, I think there was a question in the second service about what's going on all around us in, uh, in our world today. There's, there's chaos. There's contention. There is division. There is hate. There is violence. There is grief. It is not a pleasant place. And more and more, I wonder, you know, is this ever going to be the America that it used to be, right? Or the world that it used to be? And It, it probably won't. But one thing I am sure of, is that God is still on his throne in heaven, and God, by the power of his mighty, sovereign right hand, will accomplish his victory. Amen? Guess who wins? God does. And if, and if all you are is part of a nation, or all you are is part of a community, there is no hope in that. There is only hope in faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus will have the final say, and Jesus will win. So they live by faith in God's mighty right hand. They also live by faith in God's steadfast and faithful love. We've been talking about that all through this. Again, this psalm is all about God's mighty, faithful, steadfast love. This this protection of his anointed, as we saw in verse 6. Look at verse 7. Some take pride in chariots and other in horses, but we take pride in the name of our Lord, our God. There's a steadfastness to God. There's a sureness to God. He's a rock and a solid foundation, a solid footing. We have faith in Him and His steadfast love. We trust in Him, not in something else. We don't take pride in chariots or horses. We take pride in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 33, 16-17. through A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. Interestingly enough, there was a a thing I read this week about Napoleon, who was a mighty warrior, right? And and, uh, the Battle of Waterloo was his undoing. But he he talked, someone asked him one day, is God on the side of France? And Napoleon says, God is on the side of the one with more artillery. Then Waterloo came. And he was... He had had the guns, he had the machinery, he had the numbers on his side, but Napoleon was defeated. And later on, he admitted that it's people who make plans, but it's God who sets them straight. God is the one who has the victory. We cannot trust in our artillery. We can't trust in our, our own strength. We have to trust in the Lord, and that's what living by faith is all about. What else did they have faith in? They lived by faith in God for satisfying hope. They lived in faith in God for satisfying hope. So he just talked about that, there, that some take pride in chariots, in verse 7, and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of our Lord, our God. And then it goes on in verse 8. They, that is those who take pride in horses and chariots, and they will collapse and fall. But we the ones who boast and take pride in the name of the Lord, we will rise and stand firm. Listen, this is one of the hardest things to do, I think, as a Christ follower, especially in a place where we might have strength, our own strength. We rely on that strength. We rely on our knowledge. We rely on our ego. We rely on our resume. But that will all fail or be stripped away at some point, and it can never totally satisfy. It's not the firm foundation that God is to us. He is our rock. He is our Savior. Going on in Psalm 33, verses 18 and 19. I love how this Psalm kind of, you've seen it kind of parallel here. It says in Psalm 33, 18 and 19, but look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, on those who depend on his faithful love. That's that's an amazing statement, that the Lord is, is keeping an eye on those who trust in Him, who fear Him, who depend on Him. Oh, that we would depend on God more. Oh, that we would depend on Him with all that we are, that we would turn to Him and turn away from ourselves, our own abilities or strength, and we would turn to Him in faith and depend on His faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. It's amazing the life, the real life that Christ brings to us, that you and I can stand steadfast and sure in the middle of chaos, in the middle of famine, in the middle of battle, in the middle of struggle. And especially in those times, He is the one that is all satisfying. And our hope, our faith, must be firmly planted in Him in order for us to survive, in order for us to stand firm. The last thing we see here, that they live by faith, In God, when we call. This is an interesting end to this this passage. And and because I said there are so many views from theologians on this, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of them. Here's what the text says in verse 9. Lord, give victory to the king. Okay, again, this is a prayer reiterating, hey, we want our king to survive. Give victory to the king, right? Continue this, the king's anointed, or God's anointed, the king. May he answer us on the day that we call. Now it's interesting that the congregation would be praying that, that David, the King David, would be able to answer them on the day that they call. But that seems like what it's saying here. And some would say, well, it's not quite that. It's more, God, give victory. We know you're hearing our prayer. Okay, well, we could go that way too. But think about this as subjects of David's kingdom who, who felt that he was the breath of life, that he was the anointed one, that the fire of Israel, the lamp of Israel, can't be extinguished. They wanted him to live, and they wanted a king to live so that the subjects of the king could call out to the king, and the king would have their their attention and hear their plea and and come to help. That's what a king should do. A king should help rule the nation. They wanted that. And and that's fitting, especially if we turn it back and foreshadow it again to the Lord Jesus, and I think that is what is more important here. Let's look at this in view of the Lord Jesus. Starting back up at the top here of, uh, in verse 6, let's, let's look at this through the lens of the Messiah. You'd live by faith in God's mighty right hand, that God's mighty right hand would accomplish the victory for God's anointed, for his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that happy would be a nation whose God is the Lord, right? And going on, that God that there'd be faith in God's steadfast and faithful love, that we would see that some would take pride in their, their, their nation's accomplishments and ability to crucify the Savior. Like, oh, you think he's the Savior, you think he's great, you think he's the, the rightful king of Israel, we're going to kill him. And some would take pride in their ability to kill the Messiah. But we take pride in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was killed, but who came back conquering death as a roaring lion. They could not keep him At bay, because of God's steadfast and faithful love, and we trust in God in faith uh, for a satisfying hope. We know that the gospel, that the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, what He accomplished for you and I, for our sin, is an anchor for our souls. That God has given us Jesus as a satisfying hope, and that Psalm 33 was beautiful. Look, the Lord keeps His eyes on those who fear Him, those who depend on his faithful love given to us through Christ to rescue them from what? From death and keep us alive in famine. And then the final one we see here is that we have faith in God when we call. This is probably more fitting now as at the end of this passage. Lord, give victory to the king. Okay, we prayed, we prayed and talked about David and now we're moving into the realm of talking about the Messiah. So the prayer is, Lord, Father in heaven, give victory to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, your Son. It's a reiteration of what has already been prayed, that that he would have victory. And it's, it's it's a prayer of faith, saying, let's see the victory. The victory is at hand. And then they say, let's give victory to the King that he may answer us on the day that we call him. That is, what Christ came for. Christ came to be victorious, that all who call on the name of the Lord would be saved. We see in Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. Scripture says that everyone who believes on him, that's Jesus, will not be put to shame, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see this great and deep foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. We see David getting ready for battle, offering sacrifices before battle, praying for the victory and praying that God's hessed love, his covenant faithful love would deliver and protect him and give him the victory so that God's covenant love would continue on. But we also see a foreshadowing of Jesus in his day of trouble who would often go to the Father and pray. Pray for the strength he needed to endure the cross of suffering that we deserved. And he did that. He did it despising the shame and for the joy set before him, Hebrews tells us. So that we could then come to the throne of grace with confidence. That we could approach God in faith and say, I can now have victory because Jesus had victory. I can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It is so important for us to know that. So what is the application for us? The application is that we would pray in our day of trouble, that we would pray. And we would pray for those things that we talked about. And then that out of that prayer, we would live by faith, that we would pray by faith, trusting in the victories that God has already given us and the victories that he's going to give us. Not the victories necessarily we think, but more abundant than we could ever think. More than, more than we could ever ask or think. He basically says, my plans are not your plans. My ways are higher than your ways. I'll take care of it, but live and walk by faith. And that we would run to, in faith, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord's anointed, who was given victory. And that we would turn in faith to him and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We have access, through faith, into this grace in which to stand. My, My prayer is that you, in your day of trouble, have already turned to God in faith, that you've already called on the name of the Lord in faith to be saved. If you haven't, do it. Turn and believe. Turn from your own strength, turn from your own ways, turn from your own sin. Turn to God in faith and trust the victory that Jesus has had on the cross and over death for you. He wants to be your Savior, your God, your satisfying hope, and he's promised to do that. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father, we're so grateful to, to be here, God, and to, to look to your word. God, thank you for the power that's there. Father, our, our best laid plans really account for nothing. So God, I, I pray that you would help us to humble our hearts, and, and God, that we would be people like David men and women, uh, after your own heart, that God, we would give to you and offer to you acceptable and pleasing sacrifices. God, that for, that's from a heart of trust and faith. And God, that we would trust you for the victory. God, knowing that you have given us Jesus who had the victory over Satan, over sin, and over death once and for all, and you finished it. That through faith in Christ, you would be our all-satisfying hope. We're thankful for that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.